Thanks for joining us for the Heritage Bible Church podcast from Lincoln, Nebraska. We desire to be a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify Christ and love people well. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. 1 John chapter 4. So the following is a headline of a news story, an actual news story that went viral, briefly went viral a few years ago. I think it was like 2017. This is the headline. Man fakes being deaf and dumb for 62 years to avoid listening to his wife. Let me read that again. So, uh, man fakes being deaf and dumb for 62 years to avoid listening to his wife. It actually went viral for a time. And the problem is, as you can probably guess, it wasn't actually a story. It was a fabrication. Or else that dude deserves an Oscar. Right? <laughs> Several. I mean, that would be the greatest acting job ever. It was fake news. We live in a world of fake news, don't we? There's a lot of fake news that goes around. A lot of misleading news stories, misleading sound bites around in our world. So easy to come across them. So easy to get taken in. So in a world of fake news in society, in a world full of fake news, how do you discern what is true? How does one discern if what they are reading or hearing is true or false. Well, you must be able to find a trustworthy source. In order to discern what is true from what is false, you must have access to a trustworthy source of information, an eyewitness testimony, for example, or a trustworthy outlet that has proven to be a reliable dispenser of news or of truth. Well, my friends, I hate to report, although you already know this is true, that fake news is nothing new. Moreover, it's not limited to society. Fake news is all over the religious world as well, and it has been from the beginning, from the garden. What did Satan do right there in the garden? Satan twisted the truth, and he presented it a different way a false way to Adam and Eve. And they were deceived by it. They were taken in. And this has been his pattern, my friends, his pattern throughout time. He is the great deceiver. This is uh, sort of part and parcel to who Satan is. He wants to deceive. He wants to twist. He wants to draw away people after him. He wants to hold people captive to that which is false as opposed to the truth. He knows that God is good and that God will lead us in a good path. But Satan wants to twist. Why? Because he hates you. Ultimately, he hates you. He hates God. And he hates God's people. So, in a world that's filled with a lot of religious or theological fake news, how do we decipher what is true from what is false, my friends? How do we decipher what is true from what is false? Again, very simply, I would say to you, we must have access to a trustworthy source. Access to a trustworthy source. And John helps us to do exactly that. Look in your Bible, 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. I think in this text, verses 1 through 6, 
John helps us to see and reject false teaching in three ways. The first one is be skeptical. Number one, be skeptical. Chapter 4, verse 1, beloved. Let's just pause right here for a moment. Understand this endearing term. John loves these people. So he comes to them with a pastoral heart to say this. The context of his love for them expressed here is, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Do not believe everything you hear. Do not believe every spirit. Now, let me pause here and help you for a moment. John is not here referencing like a disembodied phantom or wraith or shadow. He's talking about messages. Don't believe every message you hear. Don't believe every blog post you read. Don't believe every YouTube video that you watch. He's talking about the message. But by using spirits, what John is doing is he's sort of bypassing the human channel, the human mouthpiece, to get to the source, what's really behind the message that you are listening to, what's really behind the blog posts that you are reading. John's getting at the source. Is it really God? Is what is behind this human really God? Is it the Spirit of God or is Really what's behind this message or messenger, the spirit of Satan. So again, my friends, you're going to read a lot. You're going to watch a lot. Perhaps you'll flip through some of the Christian TV stations. You'll see a lot. How do you decipher what's really behind that person? They may, may look all kinds of Christian, but what's really behind that person? What is really behind the message that they are preaching? That's what we want to know. So, again, let me just state the obvious. Not everything that pretends to be Christian is Christian. And you just have to know that. We have to sort of be awakened in our system, I think, sometimes. In our mind and in our heart. Shocked to reality to remind ourselves that Satan is behind a lot. My friends, a lot. That would pretend to be Christian. That would pretend to be good. Dispensing truth. It's actually not. So he's sending up warning flares. Uh, interesting to note that this language that John uses really kind of goes against the grain, doesn't it, to what is typically projected as Christian? But what is the essence of Christianity? Many would say the essence of Christianity is faith, right? People perhaps will talk to you about that in society. Like, are you a person of faith? Oh, I didn't know that you were a person of faith, right? You have faith, what you believe. I like what John Stott said, though. He said this, Unbelief, unbelief can be as much a mark of spiritual maturity as belief. What we refuse to believe, what we identify as false, what we're careful to say as false, can mark maturity as much as what we do believe. And as I was doing a little bit of a cursory search about fake news this week, just via Google, I came across a number of articles. The one article I came across is a completely secular article. Um, basically had an individual giving sort of an apostolic like warning to people about the prevalence of fake news. And they said, similar to what I've already said this morning, like fake news is nothing new. But since the onset of the smartphone, it almost sounded like a preacher, okay? Since the onset of the smartphone, 
fake news is everywhere. Like, you have to be aware. That was what the article was saying. Be aware. Can I just say that to you? Be aware. Be aware that everything that looks like it's Christian, projects it's Christian, pretends to be Christian, is actually Christian. We need to know that. We cannot be naive, my friends. We cannot be naive. I remember uh, about 10 years ago, I think, um, my naivety about the human condition was kind of eroded a bit because I went to the YMCA, threw my phone in a locker, along with some other stuff, came back like a half an hour later. I don't work out that long, obviously. <laughs> um, like a half hour later, and my iPhone was gone. Someone had gone through the lockers while I was working out and took my iPhone. I was like, what? So because I never even thought about getting a lot from my locker. In Virginia, I didn't even lock the doors of my car. I didn't lock the door to my house half the time. But after that, guess what I do? I still haven't gotten a lock for the YMCA, but I just don't put my phone in there. <laughs> I don't put my phone in there. Why? Because like, I think about it now. I've been taken in. And John is saying, like, you need to have that in your system a bit. Not everything you read or hear that projects to be Christian is actually Christian. So that's what the text says, verse 1, do not believe everything you hear. I remember my granddad saying that to me. Boy, don't believe everything you hear. I'd probably just told a tall tale of some sort. Don't believe everything you hear. This is what John is saying to us. Satan is ruthless, man. He's trying to deceive. Check out the end of verse 6. By this, John says, it's very clear what he's talking about in this passage. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. By this. Now, we haven't gone through that yet, so we're about to. But just know with me the language of the spirit of error. Uh, the Greek word behind the word error there literally means wandering. This is Satan's aim. He's not just posting stuff at random because he likes to post stuff. Satan is trying to deceive. He's trying to cause people to wander away from the truth. It's intentional. You've got to be aware of it. Okay? Don't be naive. Be skeptical. Let me just throw a parenthesis here, though, for one second. I want you to grab that as the driving force. Please, I don't want to soften it at all, but I do want to say this. There's a difference between being skeptical and completely cynical. You've got to watch that. So I just want to say that. You've got to watch your heart, all right? You can get to a place where you think everyone's a heretic, right? I'm probably a heretic this morning. I probably said something that's, yeah, I don't know. Um, don't go there, all right? Be skeptical because the truth is so crucial, number one. Number two, be Christological. Be Christological. The person and work of Christ is the ultimate test. So you might say, Dustin, like, I get it. We're supposed to be skeptical. I, I need to understand that not everything I read that pretends to be Christian is Christian. But when I am reading something, how do I analyze it? How do I test it? How do I decide? How do I, how do I decipher if this is true or false? If this is from God or from the world or from Satan? Well, John helps us. Verse 2. Check it out. By this you know the Spirit of God. Isn't that great? Isn't John great? How he just does that, just puts it right there? Like, if you're asking that question, here you go. Here's how you can know. The Spirit of God, this message you're hearing is from, it's out of the Spirit of God. Every spirit 
or message that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit or every message you're hearing that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Verse 3. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. We know that the Antichrist has not been revealed yet, but boy, his minions are here. His minions are everywhere spreading false teaching. He said, what you heard was coming and now is already in the world. So how do we decipher what is true from what is false? Be skeptical. Number two, be Christological. You can see here in verses two and three that Jesus is the center of this message, right? See in both verses, whoever confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Jesus is the test. The Messiah is the text. But let me just pause right here and ask you a question, my friends. And be honest, before your heart, your heart before God, if I were to ask you to apply this test right now, do you know what to look for? Think about it. I'm not going to test you this morning. Guess where you'll take the test? You're going to take the test when you're scrolling YouTube. You're going to take the test when you're Googling. You're going to take the test when you're flipping channels on the radio or television. That's when you're going to take the test. I'm just asking, do you know what you're looking for? When I say be Christological, you need to have a robust understanding of who Jesus was and is. Do you know what you're looking for? I hope so. This is part of the reason why we come week after week and study the word of God, because John's going to help us in this passage. What does he say? Well, John here, when he says, Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, verse 2, is again referencing the hypostatic union of Christ. This awesome reality that Jesus Christ was and is fully God and fully man. Simultaneously, fully God, fully divine, and fully man. But you might again have the question, Dustin, Perhaps you've said this already, but I don't know why that matters so much. Can you just help me understand why does this understanding of fully God, fully man, why does it matter so much? Can I just tell you this? It's at the heart of the gospel, at the very center of the gospel story. The gospel story starts where? It starts in the Garden of Eden. God created man to have fellowship with him. What happened? Adam and Eve as our representatives, please track with me. I'm going to help you make this connection. Adam and Eve, as our representatives, chose to rebel against God. Thus, every person born as a human being is born with a sin nature, a sin nature we inherited from Adam, a sin nature that we've all contributed to big time. Right? So why is it important to understand that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man? Because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God became man to be our representative. To be a better version of the first Adam. Amen? A much better version. Much better version. A perfect one. He is our representative. Jesus Christ in the flesh, in an actual body, was born, Galatians 4, under the law. 
And he fulfilled that law to the letter. Amen? Amen. All right, friends, this is where we're at, okay? Shout out some amens. He fulfilled that law to the letter. He was perfect in our place for us, my friends. For us, he was perfect. He kept every law. He didn't deserve to die, but went to the cross and there laid his life down as a sacrifice. He was the lamb to which all the other actual lambs pointed to. He was the final human body lamb sacrificed to take the sins of the world away. He literally died and that death, hear me, was for you. His life was for you. His death was for you so that in his resurrection, when he defeated death and sin forever in his resurrection, he, as our representative, you can study it for yourself, Romans 5, can credit to you perfection. That was a great spot for an amen. He can credit to you perfection. You inherited from the first Adam your sin. From the second Adam, from Jesus, you inherit righteousness and eternal life. This is it, my friends. This is why it matters. This is why an understanding... What was that? I missed that. Okay, amen. Thank you. All right, so this is why it matters, my friends. This is why it matters that we understand that Jesus Christ was fully God, fully man. You start chipping away at that, you lose the gospel. The gospel goes away. It's frittered away. A second reason it matters, contextually here, is as we've already said, in light of the heresy that John is directly addressing, the early Gnostics were presenting in this day this understanding that the body was completely inconsequential. So this is part of what they were doing in taking the idea that the Messiah didn't have, have an actual body and perpetuating that notion. So basically what they were saying is everything you need to know about your relationship with God or the spirit world is just intellectual. It's just stuff you learn, stuff that's in your head. It's not really consequential for it to be played out in your life. And so John is saying in this book, what? No, 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 understand. In fact, one of the ways in which you test that you do genuinely know him vertically is in your life. Has it made a difference? As we said a couple of weeks ago, the real Jesus makes a real difference in your life. Makes a real difference in your life. So it matters. Fully God, fully man. Also, again, note your text. John is here constantly affirming sound theology. Verse 2 He's not like saying, here's the Trinity definition, like we often do in like doctrinal statements. But know with me how he affirms the Trinity in verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. Perhaps it's capitalized there. It should be. It's the Holy Spirit of God. Every spirit, lowercase s, every message really is what John is saying, that confesses that Jesus Christ, so you have the Holy Spirit of God now, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity has come in the flesh, is from God, God as one, or perhaps you might say, God the Father. Jesus said, I do only that which the Father sends me to do. So here you have a reflection of the entire Godhead. In one verse, this is the Trinity, God, one, but three distinct persons. My friends, this is so important, okay? This is so important. 
have or develop a robust, a robust understanding of who Jesus was and is. Inspect for these things like an art critic, okay? Inspecting for that which is false or fake or a copy. Inspect for these things. So before I listen to a message, get absorbed into a book or blog post or become enamored with someone's music, I need to ask these questions. Does this person talk, confess about Jesus Christ? He's the foundation. A lot of what's out there in the realm of faith, spirituality, etc. doesn't even talk about Jesus at all. Okay? Do they talk about, is Jesus the foundation of it all for them? Another question, do they believe that Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man? Investigate that. Inspect for that. And also, do they believe and proclaim the Trinity? My friends, be Christological. Um, this past week, we had an awesome opportunity to interact with uh, three pastors from Boston uh, who are here, one of which we support as a part of our missions budget. Um, Dave Como, who's planting a church just outside of Boston in the little suburb of Weymouth. Uh, perhaps you know, perhaps you don't know, but the Boston area, understand, is less than 2% professing evangelical Christian. Less than 2%. That's just those who profess to be. Less than 2%. In essence, it's an unreached people group. But if you know anything about the history of New England, you know it was not always this way. New England, in that Boston area, that Massachusetts Bay, was once a hotbed for the gospel. A place where people were passionate about the advance of the glory and gospel of Christ. In fact, if you look at the history, the Puritan pilgrims that came there, they came there with an aim to make this place a shining city on a hill. Famous message from John Winthrop before they even came, got on boats to come here. They wanted to make this a shining city on a hill whereby God would be glorified and the gospel would be advanced in freedom. This was their aim. So when they arrived on the shores of the Massachusetts Bay, they went about building their towns and building churches and ensuring that in every church there was a man who would faithfully proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, reaching out to Native Americans, etc., but setting up a place that would be a shining city on a hill. But then, over time, it changed. But not before some institutions were founded. Institutions that you know very well. Institutions like Harvard, Princeton, Yale. Do you know why these institutions were founded? They were founded to train preachers. That's why they were founded. To train preachers of the gospel. You know why? These folks were passionate. They were passionate because they thought some of these pastors are on up in years. That a lot of these pastors are getting up in years. And when they die, who's going to replace them? Who's going to be the young men that come in and fill these pulpits and continue to proclaim the gospel? Continue to watch out for sound doctrine and theology? Well, we don't know who they are. We've got to train them. Harvard. Yale. Princeton. You don't believe my word? Consider what's inscribed on the gates of Harvard to this day. Undoubtedly, they're embarrassed about it today. But you can see it on the screen. 
I know you can't read that, so the next slide will give you the text, and I'll read it. Here's what it says. After God had carried us safely to New England, and we had built our houses, provided necessaries for our livelihood, reared convenient places for God's worship, and settled the civil government, one of the next things we longed for and looked after, they were passionate, diligent, was to advance learning. What kind of learning? What kind of learning? Advance learning and perpetuate it to posterity, dreading to leave an illiterate ministry to the churches when our present minister shall lie in the dust. They're founded to train ministers, founded to train preachers of the gospel. Consider one of the first laws. This is so fascinating. One of the first laws that was laid for students to agree to. This is the student handbook of Harvard in the middle 1600s, okay? 16th century. Here's what it said. Lay Christ, every student, lay Christ on the bottom as the only foundation of all sound knowledge. Did you hear that? Doesn't it sound like 1 John 4? Lay Christ on the bottom as the only foundation of all sound knowledge. Flash forward to today. What is Harvard like? What is Yale like? What is Princeton like? By the way, perhaps the most famous Princeton president, Jonathan Edwards, the man who's most famous for preaching the sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Right? pleading with people to understand that they are in their sin and that they will face God's wrath if they won't repent and trust in him. You're not going to find that at Princeton today. In fact, Harvard recently made news by hiring an atheist chaplain. You can find it. They just recently hired an atheist chaplain who, in his induction ceremony, said this, and I quote, Again, we learned most of this this week from our brothers. Chaplain said this, we don't look to a God for answers. We are each other's answers. This is the school of religion, my friends, at Harvard. We don't look to a God for answers. We are each other's answers. Now, let me just say to you, friends, I love you guys but I'm glad you're not my answer. <laughs> okay, goodness gracious. We are flawed people, aren't we? We don't see everything right. We need God. We need God. But you can see how far they have slid. So all that to say this, let me ask you a question. What caused the slide? You know what's at the very center of the slide from the 1600s till today at Harvard? Christology. That's at the heart of it. Because early on in the 1700s, a Unitarian was appointed to be the president of Harvard. Because Unitarian theology was, was growing and swelling in the culture of that day. People liked it. Because at the center of Unitarian theology, they denied the Trinity as too difficult. 
They denied the Trinity. They began very quickly to deny that Jesus was the only way to God. They were de denying Christology and very quickly came to the position of universalism. That it really doesn't matter what you believe, everybody's on their way to God. Everybody's on their own path to God. Absolute truth is mm, not really absolute. There's none of that really. It's just a free-for-all. It was judges. Every person does what's right in their own eyes. Don't question. It's pluralism. It's pluralism. So the journey from the 1600s till today in Boston, the journey from a shining city on a hill to a place where there's less than 2% professing evangelicalism, you know what's at the heart of it? A lot of people who didn't do what we're doing today. Please hear me. What's at the heart of it is a lack of Christology. They basically said, yeah, you know what? Is it that big of a deal that we believe that God is one distinct in three persons? Hmm. It's not that big of a deal. Come on, let's, let's calm down, everybody. Let's calm down. Let's relax. Let's chill. What happened? But here's the deal. This is interesting. Please continue to track with me. When that all was happening, guess what was happening? The, ch the churches were full. The churches were full. So go back to the 1700s when Unitarian theology started to take root. The churches were full. Why? People like this, man. Society like this. You're going to get applause on the 1700s version of CNN. It's good stuff right there. Well done. Check out your text, verse 5. Verse 5. These false prophets, these that lay aside sound doctrine, sound Christology. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. The world loves it. Society loves it. Back in this day, when Unitarian theology was all the rage, the churches were full. But let me ask you a question. What's going on in the Unitarian Church in Boston area now? Nothing? Very little. All those little churches that were built by the Puritans that became Unitarian over time. You know what they are now? Many of them are art galleries, museums, other things. Why? They liked it for a time, but eventually after pluralism gives way to post-Christianism, or postmodernism, what happens? People go, I mean, we're not saying anything substantial anyway. Why, why are we even going? Why are we even going to church? And they don't have the Spirit of God in them pining for the Word of God. Thus, what happens is they empty out. The world likes it for a time. They like it for a time, but eventually it empties out. Why? The truth. All that to say, brothers and sisters, we must be passionate, passionate to understand the truth of Christ. So be skeptical. Number two, be Christological. Do you know what you're looking for? Study the doctrines of Christ. Then thirdly and finally, be scriptural. Be scriptural. Now with me, your text, verse 6. John says, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. 
And by this we know the spirit of truth, the spirit of error. By this we can be discerning. But note that first phrase, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Sounds a bit haughty, doesn't it? A little proud, that's what it sounds like. But understand that the we here is a reference not to himself fundamentally. This is not John flexing his chest. This is not a statement of machismo. This is ultimately a statement pointing to his apostleship amongst the others. So the we there is a reference to his own apostleship among the other apostles that draw their authority from who? If you walk it back, what you find is that John is ultimately referencing Jesus. Okay, so just as a word of caution, if you ever see someone on YouTube saying, we are from God. Those who know God listen to us. Click to the next video pretty quick. Okay? Unless they're just reading this verse and saying, we only, we only point to Christ and his word. What John is doing here is he's establishing the authority of inspiration, the authority of the words of Christ. That ultimately, these guys, these men, the apostles, were appointed by Jesus. They were eyewitnesses of his work and eyewitnesses of his word. Do you remember how this letter started? This letter started with John saying, we were with him, we saw him, we heard him, we, we touched him. So we heard the words of life, and it's these words that we now give to you. What John is saying, I think what he would say to us today is, be scriptural knee-jerk. When you're looking for discernment, knee-jerk to the Word of God. Okay? Knee-jerk to the Word of God. I like what Danny Aiken said when he said it this way. Those who know God, those who know God through the incarnate Christ, listen to those who are with Him. Makes sense, doesn't it? They listen to those who were with Him, who were commissioned by Him. They stay with the apostles and the prophets, and refuse to move away from this true and trustworthy source even one inch. I love that. So, as you're trying to decipher the messages that you're hearing, the books that you're reading, the blogs that you are reading, podcasts you're listening to, knee-jerk to the Word of God. My friends, knee-jerk to the Word of God. By the way, I would encourage you to allow your church, allow your pastors to help you in that process. Feel free to send an email or a text or to set up a time to meet for coffee to say, I've been listening to this guy or reading this book. Should I be? Should I be? We are not the authorities, but what we've pledged to do is to say, we're going to point you to this book. Point you to the Word of God. Ultimately, it's about Scripture. Use Scripture as a sieve. This is what God has had to say. It is the infallible rule of faith and practice for the believer. So as Wycliffe has said to have said, and I love this, the true Christian was intended by Christ to prove all things by the word of God. All churches, all ministers, all teaching, all preaching, all doctrines, all sermons, all writings, all opinions, all practices, these are his marching orders. 
Prove all by the word of God. Measure all by the measure of the Bible. Compare all with the standard of the Bible. Weigh all in the balances of the Bible. Examine all by the light of the Bible. Test all in the crucible of the Bible. That which cannot abide the fire of the Bible, reject, refuse, repudiate, and cast away. This is the flag which he nailed to the mast. May it never be lowered. Amen? My friends, Unitarian theology didn't take root in a society because people were going, let, let me see, let me see. Is that true? Is that true? That's not what happened. It's just that simply people thought, hmm, sounds good. We're good. It's not a big deal. Again, relax, relax. John is saying, brothers and sisters, don't relax. Don't relax. Be skeptical. Okay, be skeptical. Be Christological and be scriptural. Be people of the book. Is this what God really says? Evaluate it through the authority of the word of God. In conclusion, though, here's what I want to say to you. From John, be encouraged. Be encouraged. I know that what we're talking about today is heavy in a way. It's heavy in a way. The thing about the fact that out there there is so much which pretends to be Christian that is false. How am I going to discern? How am I going to decipher? When I say be encouraged, why do I say that? Verse 4. Maybe you thought I skipped it. I did, but on purpose. Check out your text, verse 4. Little children, term of endearment, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Amen. You are from God. What is John saying? In a very real sense, John is saying, there is evidence of genuine faith by virtue of your presence. You're still here. Remember what he said in chapter 2. They went out from us because they were not of us. They went out from us preaching a different gospel, a different version of Christianity, and you stayed. You stayed. You're still here. So he says, we are from God. We're still listening to the truth and have overcome them. We have overcome that which is false. Not because we're so smart. Because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So this is an encouragement. It's a huge encouragement for us to understand that we have the person of the Holy Spirit of God within us that you can lean into. And as the Spirit of God sends off warning flags, listen to those. Be Christological. Knee-jerk to the Bible. Allow your pastors and your church to help you in that process. Right? The Spirit of God will help you. As the Spirit of God affirms that this is the Word of God. This is the truth. And trust it. Trust it as you are Christological and biblical or scriptural. My friends, this is why we seek to come week after week and just open up the book and we love to say, we're going to the next text. Going to the next text. 
uh, that we don't occasionally jump off to talk about something from the Word of God, but typically we go to the next text. Why? I've got nothing to say. Ultimately, I've got nothing to say of eternal value. If it's not from this book. You guys with me? It's got to be from this word. So we want to know what God has to say. And as we do that, you know what happens? Week after week, the Holy Spirit of God says, yes, I see it. I'm using the faculties, my mind that he's given me. Sound logic, sound reasoning. Yes, this is exactly what God is saying in this passage. And I believe it. John is saying, be encouraged. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He will hold you fast. Lean into him. Trust in him. My friends, but understand, a lot of fake news out there. How do you decipher? Well, don't believe everything you hear. Be skeptical. Be Christological. Take seriously what we believe about Jesus, his person and his work, and knee-jerk to the authority of the word of God. Be serious about it evaluating everything you hear on the basis of the Bible. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of God will lead you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for helping us to understand your word, and I pray that you would help us to apply it.